0: All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am doing my scouting report of the Falcons 2021 fourth round pick and cornerback Darren Hall out of San Diego State. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for a long time, formerly at falkfans.com, RIP, still going strong. At Falcon fans on Twitter, however, and of course, hosting this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's Locked On Falcons podcast is brought to you by RockAuto.com, where you can find amazing selection and reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need. Just visit RockAuto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So today's episode, we are getting. To our scouting report of Falcons fourth round cornerback Darren Hall. Finally, after basically having to punt this episode for several days due to the Julio Jones drama that consumed the podcast last week. But uh, we'll get into what my thoughts are on Darren Hall, his strengths, his weaknesses, how he projects to the NFL. And then we'll do some NFL player comparisons to sort of look at sort of his floor, his ceiling, his eye level in the NFL and see where he winds up. So kicking things off, you know, Darren Hall is another projection. And we talked about projections with the Jalen Mayfield scouting report, our last one last Monday. And essentially what that means is, you know, a player did X in college and then he's going to be asked to do Y in the NFL. And it's kind of unknown. And with Mayfield, that was making the transition from a right tackle to a left guard from Michigan to Atlanta and also making the transition from primarily playing in a gap or man blocking scheme at Michigan to an outside zone scheme that he's going to play here in Atlanta. And with Hall, his transition is going to be probably making the move from a primarily outside cornerback to primarily an inside cornerback. And, you know, I think this explains the discrepancy of why the Falcons value Darren Hall by taking him in round four much more than what seemingly other teams and NFL analysts did. You look at NFL.com, which is rankings are based off of Lance Zerine's got a report projected him as a fifth round pick. He was 280th on Bleacher Report's top 300 board in the 33rd ranked cornerback. He was the 28th ranked cornerback on Dane Brugler's draft board and, and graded as a fifth or sixth round prospect for him. Hall was 282 on Pro Football Focus's top 300 board, graded as a sixth round pick. Arif Hassan. Over at the Athletic, does the consensus board that sort of brings together averages where players are seen by 70 plus different draft boards? And Hall was consensus ranked 226, with the Falcons taking him 108th in the draft. According to that consensus ranking, you know, Hassan had him labeled as one of the 15 biggest reaches in the draft. So, why was Darren Hall rated so low by so many people? Clearly, discrepancy between where the Falcons valued him and where seemingly the rest of the world is. And we'll certainly get into the exact reasons why, but the core of that is, I think, you know, Darren Hall was exclusively an outside corner during his collegiate days at San Diego State. According to Pro Football Focus, he only played five snaps across the past three years in the slot compared to over 1,600 snaps playing outside. And simply put, as an outside corner, you know, Hall probably rates as a backup player that might be able to carve out a role in special teams. And again, we'll get into exactly why that is later. But, you know, you're probably looking at a guy that at best probably has sixth or seventh round value as an outside corner. And maybe in a lot of people's eyes is more on par with an undrafted free agent at that position, given his smaller frame, given the lack of elite athleticism. He's a good athlete, but certainly his change of direction and agilities bring some questions there. And that's something that you definitely want to have as a cornerback. And, and certainly that may limit his potential as an outside corner, uh, given his average height, his average weight and his average arm length and wingspan also could limit his potential there. So, I think when you look at those things, but then when you project Hall inside, I think his value does increase and that's potentially where he does project as a starter, that would be more in line and more worthy of being selected within the first four rounds of the draft. And I think one of the reasons why you give Hall as well as this Falcons regime, more of a benefit of doubt in comparison to what I did with Jalen Mayfield, where I, I certainly had a lot of questions about his ability to project to a new role in a different scheme is that the Falcons relatively speaking in this coaching staff does have some familiarity with the player uh, because I'm sure you've heard many times by now, including on this podcast, Hall's uh, position coach at San Diego state was Kyle Hoke, who is the son of the Falcons secondary coach and John Hoke and Hall's head coach. The last two years at San Diego state was Brady Hoke, who is John's brother. Now technically Kyle coached safeties at San Diego state while somebody else coached the corners. But obviously that coaching connection does give this regime some insight into Hall, the, player in the person. And that's why I'm a lot more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to his potential to project versus say someone like a Jalen Mayfield, not to mention, I think when you watch the film of hall, it's hard not to see what exactly, or, you know, you can see why hall projects as a nickel corner and a better nickel corner than he does as an outside corner. You don't have to necessarily do a lot of sort of guesswork in that regard. And we'll talk about exactly what those things that we see on the film are that allow hall to project better inside versus outside. And we'll talk about that as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the NBA side of lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the Atlanta Hawks. Now that the Hawks are up three to one with a chance to close out their first round series against the Knicks this upcoming Wednesday, find out how they can do that by checking out the lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Rowland, or your favorite NBA teams, daily podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I want to tell you guys about credit karma money, a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your credit karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit karma money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 credit karma members and counting. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Right now, just visit slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank incorporated member FDIC maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So why does Darren Hall project better inside? And I think the main issue is with Darren Hall is that playing inside allows him to sort of max some of his limitations and it potentially enhances some of his strengths. You know, I think those strengths are generally, he has a a pretty good feel for zone playing in San Diego state's scheme he played almost exclusively off coverage, lining up seven to 10 yards off uh, the receiver, most snaps. And, you know, they played a mix of zones. It seemed from what I gathered on film, it was primarily a lot more cover three, cover four, which means that he had a lot more deep responsibilities covering the deep third or deep quarter of the field. And so that led to him playing a lot more off coverage in that regard. And I think he's... Good in zone. He's able to keep things in front of him. Did a very good job limiting yards after catch on most of the catches that he did wind up giving up. Uh, that's in part due to taking good angles to the ball, being a reliable tackler. Pro Football Focus only charted him with two missed tackles in 2020. I only saw one in the games that I watched this past year. He does a good job in run support with, you know, which is necessary as a nickel corner. Uh, given that they're essentially subbing in for a linebacker and that presents teams with a softer box. So you kind of need your nickel to, to carry his weight uh, as a run support corner. And I thought Hall certainly showed the consistency and ability to be a, a solid rap tackler and be willing to sort of fill those run lanes and those gaps responsibilities when he needed to. So certainly I think he checks that box. I think when you look at the weaknesses of Darren Hall, it's traditionally the things that you would typically look for in an outside corner. Now, you know, that comes in the form of when he was asked to play press, um, when he was trying to handle deep responsibilities, those were some areas where he generally struggled. You also saw against a better competition, typically, you know, outside receivers are better than inside receivers, you know, so he had a little bit of struggles there. And so those are the things that you sort of question a little bit. Okay. How good, how well does he project as an outside corner? I didn't see him play a ton of press, but when he did play press, you know, which may have been one or two times per game, he tended to struggle when he, when he was asked to do that. And maybe some of that is due to the lack of experience since San Diego state did not ask him to do that very often. Um, But I'm not sure that just physically he has the sort of match and mirror skills that you're ideally looking for again, evidence by sort of his poor agility scores at his pro day, nor is he a guy that I think is going to be particularly effective in bump and run coverage if he's asked to play that type of press coverage. Defending the deep ball was an issue for him at times because wide receivers were able to sort of get on top of him um, at times against the deep ball. The Nevada game was a, a good or bad example, depending on your perspective on that, because he gave up two plus yard receptions to Romeo Dobbs in that game. He also got beat on a deep post that because the quarterback allowed the ball to hang up in the air. He was able to recover and contest the throw, which led to an incompletion, but that would have been probably his third 50 plus yard uh, reception given up in that game. Um, And while he's not slow, that's not why he gets beat deep. You know, he just didn't necessarily have the sort of hips to sort of turn and run with guys smoothly. And that allowed guys to get that extra step on him and the, and, and the stay on top of him in that regard. But, You know, the one of the things I noticed against the deep ball is he didn't really show the ball skills against those vertical throws to really turn and do a good job and locate the ball in the air and contest those throws, which is why whenever the opportunity arose, he rarely was able to break up those throws. Now, he did do a better job of that in the one on ones I saw uh, at the senior bowl where he did attend the senior bowl. And he did a better job turning and running with receivers and defending those vertical routes. So that's something that he potentially could get better at. But that wasn't something that I clearly saw evidence on his film at San Diego State. And those are things that you want to do as an outside corner. One of the reasons why Isaiah Oliver was not particularly effective as an outside corner and was more effective playing inside is because you don't necessarily as an inside corner have to worry as much about the vertical routes, you know, since in general teams don't ask slot receivers to run deep routes as often. And when they do typically, particularly in the Falcon scheme where they have a single high safety, you're going to get that safety help over the middle of the field. So you don't necessarily have to feel like you have to be on top of that. You're not going to have that as much as an outside corner where you're going to have to defend those deep balls and you're not always going to get safety help over the top. But again, that's one of the reasons why I'm not particularly concerned over Hall's inability to play outside, because I don't know if he's going to be asked to play, right? So that, that deep ball ability is not as much of a concern or those question marks about his ability to defend the deep ball are less of a concern if he plays inside. The same goes for his lack of polish as a press corner, since generally you don't ask slot corners to play press. He, you know, he's going to play a lot more off coverage in that regard, which he is very comfortable with. And you know, that's one of the reasons why the stereotypical slot receiver tends to be a smaller wideout, Because teams tend to move those guys inside because they know that they're going to struggle on the outside playing against press. And so then they move them to the slot where they will see a lot less press than they would on the outside. And so it becomes mostly a non-issue for slot receivers. The same applies to slot corners. Um, So, you know, I think the other issue that Hall faced during his days this past year was against the better receivers he faced, and those stood out in the Nevada and BYU games. Romeo Dobbs, as I mentioned earlier is considered a decent prospect for the 2022 draft. You know, I don't know where he ultimately is going to go, but I've seen some projections that sort of putting him in that third, fourth round range. And from what I saw of him in that one San Diego state game, I saw that seems right about me. He's about 6'2, 200. Uh, at least that's what he's listed at, you know, reportedly runs like a four, four forty, And so that's more the type of outside receiver that you're going to see that type of body type. That type of speed is what you're is much more typical in the NFL, Right. Than it is in college. You don't come across those types of receivers every single week in the in, in college levels, but you do in the NFL pretty much every single week. And in that game, I charted Hall with giving up nine catches on thirteen targets for 157 yards, a touchdown, and also snagged an interception in that game. Now, I don't think Dobbs quite measures up to say the Mike Evanses and the Allen Robinsons and DK Metcalfs that you're going to face at the outside level. So that level of play is only going to increase. Right. Then you have the BYU game where he's facing Dax Milne, who I think was the second to last pick this past year in the draft. But he, I charted Hall giving up five catches uh, on seven targets and 84 yards in that game. Now, some of his struggles keeping up with Mill is owed to the field conditions in that game. They were snowy. And so it's not as ideal for matching up a man coverage when you can't keep your footing. But in all the other games I charted, I didn't really see teams really go after Hall in the same ways that they did in those two particular games against Nevada and BYU. And I don't think it's a coincidence that those were probably, the, at least as far as I'm aware, the two most draftable wide receivers that he faced this past year, at least in the games I saw. Across the six games I did watch of Hall from this past year, I charted about 35 of his 48 targets this year, so roughly 75% of them. And he only gave up seven completions of more than 15 yards. Three of them came against BYU. Three of them came against Nevada. And I don't think it's a coincidence, as I said, that those games were up against some of the better caliber receivers that he saw this past year. And if you project that to the next level, particularly, it doesn't give you a ton of optimism that he's going to be able to match up against the premium competition that he's going to see as an outside corner. Now, now, to be clear, I'm not trying to paint Darren Hall as like this liability and man coverage against outside corners. I think, you know, in a situation where he was forced to start for a couple of games as an outside corner, do I think he could hold his own? Yes. But as far as being a 16 game starter as an outside corner that you feel good about and saying, oh, like he played well enough that he's going to be able to keep his job the following year and the year after that. I don't think that's really his destiny as a player. There's a reason why most of the starting outside corners in the NFL are first or second round picks because the caliber of wide receiver that you see in today's NFL, particularly on the outside, requires a certain physical skill level, right? That typically you're only going to find at the top of the draft. And while we see more and more teams putting quality receivers in the slot, you have players like Tyler Lockett and Michael Thomas and Chris Godwin that spend considerable amounts of time playing in the slot in today's NFL. Generally speaking, you know, that you're not often finding situations where that's where your best corner needs to be. And so you can kind of get away with not being this sort of premier matchup guy because you're going to deal with players that are typically not, you know, DK Metcalf isn't lining up in the slot. Tyler Lockett is, but let's just say that not every team is putting a Tyler Lockett out there on the field every single Sunday, as far as their slot goes. Um, most teams are putting out a, a DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett type of player on the outside most weeks. And so that becomes a, a bit more of a problem as an outside corner. So like, I think Hall can hold his own as an outside corner, but I just don't see a a ton, a high ceiling there gets back to the point that I think if you move him inside, it should mask most of those flaws as well as accentuate many of his strengths. And so what that, what type of player does he wind up being becoming is going to be what we're going to talk about next. As we wrap up today's scouting report episode on uh, Darren Hall, talking about his floor, what his starting point is in the NFL, his ceiling, what his, ultimate potential is in the NFL. And then we'll talk about his eye level, which is that sort of halfway point between those two points, which is probably our most accurate projection of what type of NFL player he's going to wind up being. But before we get there, guys, I do want to also plug the MLB side of the lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite major league baseball team. And that includes the Atlanta Braves. And of course you can find out the latest on and off the field for the Atlanta Braves along with the latest on Marcel Azuna and much, much more by checking out the locked on Braves podcast or your favorite MLB's team's daily podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, guys, did you know that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market and it has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me, you prefer mint brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter, brownie, salted caramel, coconut or raspberry. There's something for everyone. And you can try them all with a mixed box, getting two each of all nine flavors and built bars are great. They taste just like a candy bar because they contain 100% real chocolate, but built bars, they're not just tasty. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. I like using them as low calorie meal replacements for breakfast and lunch. You can use them to give yourself an energy boost pre or post-workout or work your way to that summer beach body. Now that quarantine has been lifting and you can use built bars, however you want, just head over to the website. At BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked fifteen and you'll get fifteen percent off your first order. That's promo code Locked fifteen for fifteen percent off at BuiltBar.com. So let's talk about the floor, ceiling, and eye level for uh, Darren Hall. And again, starting out with the floor, which is where I think Hall, you know, day one, you know, tomorrow, this is the type of player that he's going to wind up being. My floor comparison for Darren Hall was B.W. Webb. Now, B.W.A. has become a journeyman player in the NFL, has played with nine teams across eight NFL seasons from 2013 to 2020. You know, was an outside corner that shined at William and Mary Ply. was a zone guy entering the NFL. The Cowboys took him originally in round four of the 2013 draft, expecting him to come in and, and add depth at that nickel cornerback spot behind Orlando Scandrick, who had been dealing with some injuries up to that point. And Webb wound up being buried on the depth chart, did not necessarily impress in his limited opportunities as a rookie and got hurt the following summer and that led to an undrafted free agent by the name of Tyler Patman coming in and impressing and ultimately taking his job and leading the Webb's release you might recall Patman as one of the cornerbacks that Julio Jones torched in that monster game he had against the Cowboys in 2015 but with web he's basically been a journeyman ever since his best years were arguably 2018 and 2019 where he initially served as the Giants and then the Bengals in 2019's nickel cornerback uh, but then thanks to injuries wound up being more utilized as a starter outside and in both cases I think Webb's limitations as a starter got exposed and both the Giants and Bengals elected to move on the following year so I think when you compare that to what Hall's floor is I see a player that can be good enough if you don't necessarily have better options and you can throw him out there potentially as an outside corner and or a nickel cornerback but he's not going to necessarily impress enough that the following year you're not going to try and find better options as so many teams have done with BW web over the years. And so that translates to hall in Atlanta is you sort of bring him in with the expectations that he could uh, compete for that starting nickel cornerback spot this year. But let's say in this instance, he doesn't necessarily take as well as we're hoping and we're projecting him there, uh, given that lack of experience, And so next year, the Falcons wind up bringing in somebody else that could handle that spot and then Hall's value diminishes and his potential as an outside corner is also limited for the aforementioned reasons earlier on today's episode. And then he winds up being on the roster bubble next summer and from whatever at that point, you know, he faces an uphill battle to you know, make the Falcons roster. You know, Webb was a punt returner in college, but wasn't good enough to do that in the pros, so he never really was able to carve out a reliable role as an ace special teams guy. And I think it's a similar situation with Hall, which as far as I'm aware, he doesn't necessarily um have a, a ton of experience playing special teams, nor would I sit here and, and look at his game and say, Oh, there's a a especially high level of upside there. Um so if he doesn't necessarily win that nickel cornerback spot, he may have a hard time, you know, finding, you know, playing time on defense or on special teams with any NFL team, because similar to what you had with Webb, if Hall doesn't wind up winning one of those top three cornerback spots sooner versus later, he's going to be hard pressed to stick in Atlanta long term because presumably most teams typically have at least four corners active On game day, and those are going to be, you know, your two starters, your nickel cornerback as your top three guys and that fourth cornerback is primarily going to be your a special teams guy, which in the Falcons case, you would probably guess is going to be Avery Williams, uh, their fifth round draft pick uh, later in this draft that we'll talk about probably in a couple of weeks. Uh, So. If for whatever reason Hall doesn't show that ability to come out of the gates and be one of those top three corners, you know, he could find himself being cut by the Falcons down the road and having a similar journeyman career like BW. So that's kind of my floor for for Darren Hall, essentially, if he does not necessarily take to playing inside, that's kind of the trajectory that I would wind up, I would expect to see from him. In terms on the opposite end of the spectrum, looking at his ceiling, the player I came to was Captain Munnerlin formerly with the Carolina Panthers. And Munderland had a lot of success, primarily playing as a slot corner for the Panthers and Vikings from 2009 to 2018. He's a tad smaller than Hall, about two and a half inches shorter, but is similar athletically based off of their combine and pro day testing. You know, Munderland was a seventh round pick in, in 2000. 2009 for the Panthers out of South Carolina, carved out a nice career as one of the better slot corners in the NFL, especially over his first five years in Carolina, then signed with the Vikings was a lot more up and down, with that team over the next three years before returning to Carolina, having like one or more decent years and then kind of fading with age at that point in time. And basically that's a player in terms of Darren Hall, that's going to carve out a very good career as a late round pick, maybe wind up being a a solid nickel cornerback for like seven or eight years. And at his peak, you know, I think captain Munderland was probably one of the top seven or eight corners Uh, nickel corners, I should say, in the NFL. Um, But you didn't necessarily see him play at that peak consistently uh, in some of those weaker years, but still at worst was probably an average nickel cornerback in several of the years. And so I think that's kind of the potential that I see for Darren Hall, uh, where he can carve out a very nice career as a consistent and reliable nickel corner. And eventually, you know, and whether that's in Atlanta or elsewhere, could lead to a lucrative second contract like it did for Captain Mutterland. So when it came to uh, Darren Hall's eye level, it was kind of difficult for me to come up with one because there were there were several players that were like yeah, similar athletic in terms of frame and size and whatnot. But some of those guys were more man coverage specialists like McKenzie Alexander or Buster Scream. Teron Johnson was a guy that I was potentially settling on. But I think it's a little too early to tell with Teron Johnson because he might wind up carving out this Captain captain Munderland-esque Trajectory if he has a good 2021 and winds up being one of the better nickel corners in the league. So it didn't feel like that was fair to say he was the middle ground. Darquez Dinard was a similar player that is similar athletically. People questioned his ability to hold up as an outside corner until this past year with Atlanta, where he actually was pretty solid as the team's outside corner opposite AJ Terrell for at least a half of 2020 that he was healthy for. But I didn't like the comp of Dinard just because I think Denard came into the league as a former first round pick with a much higher, higher pedigree than halted, but there's similarities there. So ultimately the eye level I settled on and after going through, you know, those guys and, and several more was Brian pool. Um, and it's a little lazy for me. I, I will admit that, you know, pool in Hall aren't necessarily clean comparisons. Uh, you know, Poole doesn't quite have the size that Hall has, or at least in terms of height, and certainly probably is not as good an athlete as Hall is coming up, but they're still similar players in that they're primarily better playing in zone heavy defenses than necessarily being these lockdown man cover guys. Although I think Hall does definitely has more potential there than Poole did. Um but anybody who's listened to this podcast over the last five years know that I kinda of thought Brian Poole, particularly toward the end of his tenure here in Atlanta, was a tad bit underrated by many people. And, you know, probably if you were to map where Brian Poole lands on the uh, if B.W. Webb is at one end of the spectrum and Captain Munderland is at the other end of the spectrum, I think Brian Poole definitely maps closer to Munderland, uh on that side of the spectrum. But part of the problem with trying to find this middle ground player, which is why I had to go through so many examples before I ultimately settled on Brian Poole, is nickel cornerback is kind of like a meritocratic position. And what I mean by that is that if you're good, you'll stick around for a long time in the NFL. And if you're not, you'll kind of wash out a league very quickly. And there's really not a middle ground for somebody that is between a journeyman like Webb and someone who is good as like captain Munderland. Right. You know, and I think pool's probably the closest example of that, that I could find that at least has a similar set that to hall. Um, and, you know, pool has mostly been a solid starter in the NFL as a nickel cornerback, you know, it's graded out by pro football focus several times as one of the better nickels in the NFL, but his level of play isn't quite good enough that none of the teams that he's been on, whether we're talking about the Falcons or the jets have been willing to sort of commit to him long-term. Obviously he lasted three years in Atlanta, then signed two consecutive one year deals with the jets currently is unsigned as a free agent uh, right now, meaning that seemingly the perception of Brian Poole within the league is a player that isn't quite on that captain Munderland or buster screen level that is deserving of getting a lucrative long-term second contract. Even BW Webb actually got a decent second contract or Probably, I guess, technically, like fifth contract with the Bengals, you know, back in 2019. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the closest to the eye level between Munderland. And, and Webb for a player like Hall, it was a guy that is good enough that I think can be a competent to good nickel cornerback, but maybe not good enough where the team is going to be willing to commit to him long term. And that team, in, in this case with the Falcons, you know, in three or four years will generally feel good about what Hall brings to the table, but always have this sort of nagging suspicion in the back of their mind that they can do better, which is the same situation they had with Brian Poole. And, you know, we saw that with the Falcons and Poole. We kind of seen that the last two years with the Jets. And, you know, I look at the three corners the Jets drafted this year, and I'm not an expert on this past year's cornerback class, but none of those guys seem like guys that are going to be obvious upgrades over Brian Poole. And we've seen the last two years in Atlanta that we haven't necessarily significantly upgraded over Brian Poole as far as that nickel cornerback spot with players like Casey and Kendall Sheffield and Isaiah Oliver. So, I think the hope right now is that Darren Hall gives you that upgrade that you're looking for at the nickel cornerback spot in the immediate future. And now again, for the record, I I do think Demonte Casey was not bad as a nickel cornerback for the half season that he played in that role. But I I do think Hall can hopefully stabilize that position, but I do think it's fair to wonder, you know, come 2025 when it's time to pay uh, Darren Hall, his second contract, are we going to pay him what one imagines a going rate for a nickel cornerback, a quality nickel cornerback is at that point in time, which is presumably, I don't know, eight to $12 million a year or whatever the case may be. And are you going to feel comfortable paying that to Darren Hall at that point? And that obviously remains a question, but obviously that's a bridge we're going to have to cross when we get to it. Obviously our more immediate concern is can he come in and help this team uh, secondary play better right away? And I do think Hall can do that. I do expect him to wind up winning the starting nickel cornerback job over Isaiah Oliver, you know, and it goes back to something I mentioned earlier that I think special teams is going to be interesting in this equation because if Hall, like Oliver, doesn't wind up winning one of those top three cornerback spots, and in this case being the number three guy with A.J. Terrell and Fabian Moreau expected to be the number one and number two guys, you know, if he doesn't win that third spot, going back to what I talked about with how teams typically construct a roster with four active corners, and it's going to be harder for Darren Hall, I think, to carve out a significant role in special teams, not because he doesn't have the ability, you know, I think he only really played special teams at San Diego State as a freshman. I didn't do a ton of in-depth research on that, but you know, based off of some surface superficial research that seemed to be the case. But, you know, given that Cordero Patterson and Avery Williams and Kendall Sheffield and and Ezequiel are here, I think it's going to be harder for Hall to sort of leapfrog all of those guys or most of those guys to wind up winning a spot on the punt coverage team as a gunner that he would essentially need to in order to be a reliable option on special teams. So for me, again, it goes to hall. The expectations are he's going to kind of have to hit the ground running this summer and potentially win that nickel cornerback spot. And going back to what we talked about earlier, I do think, Despite not necessarily being universally rated as a a fourth-round talent by a lot of people, I do think he has that skill set that if you just sort of look at him through the lens as purely a nickel corner, as an inside slot corner, that you do think of him as – Deserving a higher grade than necessarily as a pure outside guy. So, for me, again, the question is I think Hall can be that immediate upgrade at the nickel cornerback spot, but the bigger question is going to be what is his long term upside? But as I said, you know, that's a conversation that we're not going to have until like three years from now. And that's obviously going to be determined by how well he plays this year, next year, and whenever. Um, but I do think he has a chance. That should he wind up, you know, living up to these expectations and being that Brian Poole, being that Captain Munerlin type of, of slot corner that we could add his name to the list, you know, of players, you know, three or four years down the road that I also have already slotted in Kyle Pitts and Richie Grant as as guys that really were solid picks Uh, outperforming expectations from this 2021 draft class. And who knows, maybe the Falcons other fourth round pick that they took in center, Drew Dahlman out of Stanford might also be on that list, but we'll get to Drew Dahlman scouting report. I don't know when, because I don't know what this week is going to go in terms of Julio stuff, because we might have like breaking news later this week with Julio Jones. So I can't necessarily predict, but We should get to the Drew Dahlman uh, Scatter Report later this week, probably not tomorrow, because I expect tomorrow's episode will be sort of going back in time to talking about Jalen Mayfield and Richie Grant. Um, I have some episodes on that. We'll probably give you an update on the latest on the Julio Jones stuff that occurred over the weekend, over this holiday weekend here on Memorial Day here in the States. Uh, So that's the plan for tomorrow probably either be the Jalen Mayfield with Richie Grant episode that I recorded last week that I couldn't air last week because we had to talk all about the Julio Jones stuff. With that being said, uh, you know, before we duck out of here, guys, I do want to plug the locked on today podcast where it's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes hosted by Peter Bukowski. He's got you covered on all things sports while I got you covered on all things Falcons, but you can subscribe to the locked on today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate it, guys. Until then.